welcome to episode 37 of Therapy Tales. I am joined by Don Wolf. Looking confused. A therapist, yes, a human therapist. And do you know who you are? I was trying to keep this one serious. Yeah, you were trying to be all professional. It's a good start. And you are? Uh, oh, I am Jessica Probst, founder of Dundee Dog Training and Angus Dog Training, and 20 years now in the making of um, a dog behaviourist. So, first of all, our topic today is e-collars, which has Woo-hoo. been on the back burner for a while, but Charles. I think it's now time. But I'd like to uh, also comment on some really good news, which is uh, our stats have come out and we are in the top 10% of podcasts shared globally, which is very exciting for us. Yeah, so every year Spotify do a, um, what they call Spotify Wrapped, which is a summary of your stats for the year. Now, anybody who's listened to the podcast enough will know I love stats. Um, So I'm all over stats. And um, our podcast is recorded on Anchor, which is a Spotify platform. So it goes to all podcast platforms, but it goes to Spotify first. And so they give us all the stats, and their stats include all sorts of stuff about global reach and content minutes and things like that. But the, the one that was mind-blowing for me was the stat that said, of all, we are in the top 10% of all shared podcasts. So people who share podcasts, ours is in the top 10% of that, which I it just blows my mind. Thank really you. Cool. Thank you for sharing us. Thank you for sharing us. We really appreciate it because it shows you in a really nice start and makes me happy. <laughs> it's good to keep Don happy. Okay, so um, e-collars are something that I have been using for about 15 years, but not really at the fore of my training. So I would say that I was a reward-based trainer. I've um, started with clicker training. It's very much in the the background or foundation of everything that I do. So I am a clicker trainer. And one of the fundamental things that you work on with a dog is, um, Relationship. you can call it obedience, we can call it recall, we can call it anything, but it's getting <laughs> the dog's attention on you so that you can do stuff with on it. Their, it's really hard to get a dog right. to do something when it's not even looking at you or paying any attention to you. Right, so if we take, take this as a complete novice, so and a complete novice gets an animal, gets a dog, we want, so we've got something that we want that dog to do. Yeah. Right? And I think Hollywood has ruined dogs for us. Okay. And it ruined dogs for me, because that's what I thought dogs were. Yeah. You know, Lassie, right? Go Lassie! Yeah. Go fetch some help! Rin Tin Tin and, and Lassie and growing up with that. And, and so a dog is something that will give undevoted love to you and do everything you ask. It's just, you know, this amazing animal. And the reality is it's got its own little agenda. Uh, it's got sex drive, it's got prey drive, it's, you know, the, the drive to find food and forage and so on. And so we get ourselves into a situation where our wants and the dog's wants are, you know, not, not in sync. Yeah. In opposite directions. And, and the dog's can... essentially a predator, right? So it's it's a carnivore and it's a predator. It's an animal, carnivore, predator, that we have... We don't like to think about though, right? No, we so don't. So we human... have, what's the word for it, thingy it? Um, Anthropomorphised. No, domesticated. Domesticated, That's there's the word. word yeah. um, <laughs> and, and turn them into pets that live in our homes with us. So, so what we're dealing with is we're dealing with an animal that is a hunter, a carnivore, and an animal living in a cuddly, fluffy environment as a family member. Which is, is in the scheme of things in the world, is actually quite um, a very unique situation because most places in the world so it's only in the western country well it's only in america let's face it and a bit of europe and mostly the uk yeah that are babyfying the dogs to the point of there is no difference in the dog and the, and the child the dog yep. and the child can both equally sit on the couch yep. except they're not equal are they because if a baby hurts the dog it doesn't get put down yes although twice last week i had to deal with um situations where horrendous um results have, have happened because of our of lack. Yeah. Now, I just posted something actually, which I think is relevant to this. Um, it was in the veterinary journal, so I get the... Don't forget your microphone, Jess. I, I'm still here, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> it was in the veterinary journal, and so one of the things it was talking about was parenting styles. So there's a, a sentence here that's really quite interesting. So um, There's normally three parenting styles so that we talk about in, in human psychology and behaviour. Okay. So we've got permissive, authoritative and authoritarian. Okay. Do you want to run quickly? No, you can do it through. Oh, right, okay. So permissive is, is, is what it says in the tin, right? So yep. uh, allow everything to happen. I don't really give any consequences. Authoritative is please don't do that because yep. and authoritarian is don't do that because I said so. Yep. And, you know, well, my will is your will. 
and actually um, even though most humans will um, I think they go through extremes so my take is that most humans go through permissive and authoritarian so I'm allowing it I'm allowing it I'm going to shout at you yeah, I think I think there's not one. Most people aren't just one, right? Unless they've read a book that tells them to be just one. So, so like, wasn't it in the 60s or 70s or something? It was Dr. Spock or whatever that said you should never tell a kid off and all that sort of stuff. And then there was all the things about letting them cry. So, unless you've read a book and you're following somebody else's, sure. then most people will go in and out of different modes, which is true with dogs as well, right? Unless you've um, spoken to a specific trainer who says positive only don't ever tell them off so you've got to be thoughtful and self-aware is what you're getting at so this um study was talking about um, people raising companion dogs falling into three broad groups so authoritative intrinsic authoritative training and authoritarian okay and then a fourth style they've discussed is um permissive yeah the owners have low demands and are less supportive of their dogs so Mm. kind of let them do what they want right which is interesting this parenting style has been associated with a range of behavioural problems such as nervousness, aggression, separation anxiety, high levels of excitability, reactivity, less obedience. If you want to look that up, that's Kelly and Bennett, 2018. They also found that authoritarian parenting is associated with significantly de- increased ab- disobedience, excitability and reactivity. So what we're, what we're seeing just now, and one of my... Um, gripes at the moment is labels that come from human psychology put on the dogs so excitability and reactivity is being called ADHD yes. so it's not my fault my dogs developed this it was born with this yes. syndrome yes which uh, is a different topic for a different day so well, let's go back to e-collars because yes. we're very good at going off topic because <laughs> it's not I wasn't saying anything you just went off topic on I your know, own and none of this is scripted so we very much always go off a tangent and it's Always interesting. Well, we yeah. think it is. But we're talking about how you how you control in quotes, right? Absolutely. Uh, discipline, get obedience, give boundaries, and all that sort of stuff. So we're saying, you know, there's a lot of overlap, and we often talk in our podcast about the overlap between human parenting and looking after dogs. That the brain level is there's some similarities in the brain level. There are, and of course, any animal on the planet is capable of learning. Otherwise, it wouldn't be alive. So mm-hmm. the learning part is the bit that um, we're encouraging. So here's the bit where it gets interesting with humans. Um, my take, what I've learned from Dawn in this last intensive year of learning, <laughs> she said so that with much, a really intense look on her face yeah, as well. By um, the way. Is that you know we are formed by other people, so mm. we are not responsible for our actions unless we become self-aware to the point where we're very clued up on how to undo what was done. So yep. that rule book was written by other people in our situation that yeah, we find it's ourselves. It's situational, in. circumstantial. Yeah, and so the same thing's happening with dogs. Yeah. We're responsible for writing their rule book, the things that we uh, do with them, the, the environments that we put them in, and, and we have to step forward. And very rarely do I get a phone call that, that someone says to me, I need help. It's normally, it's a good dog walk, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah. normally, my dog's doing this, my, do- my dog's got a list of problems, and actually you've got a great dog, and you've got the list of problems, the dog's fine, right? Yep. So, why, why do we need e-commerce? I've come from clicker training. I'm very much about positive reinforcement from puppyhood. We want to um, get that rule book written in a, in a wonderful way. Lots of great experiences. At some point, and I, I think recalls are a really good one to use because that's normally where, yep. I, where I start or, or most probably the phone calls that I get is dog not listening on off lead and so on, right? Great in the house, but doesn't listen to a thing I say outside. Yep. And when I have, so I've raised a lot of puppies. Uh, work for therapy work or for myself I've, I've raised an, an inordinate amount of puppies and so something's happened along the way when I've, I've been observing that around about five months so I have um, when I'm doing recall I have some rules you never tell a dog off with its name um, lots and lots of positive association with that dog's name and you're encouraging them to come back to you your, your concept of recall is the dog is choosing to come back to you because you're more interesting than anything else that's happening and you do that by repeatedly conditioning them that every time they come back to you it's a good thing to do and that's why you don't use their name to tell them off because if you use the name to tell them off it's not a good thing to come back to you you don't shout at them and kind of constrain them when they come back to you because again it's not a good thing to come back to you and you give them a treat for coming back to you so they can go actually I'd like to choose to come back to you because that's where the treats are so you, you but you're doing it through so much repetition 
that it's not even a choice by the time they're Absolutely. doing it. They're just it's automatically going, oh, I heard you, yeah. you wanted me back there. I've come back again. I don't even know why I'm doing it anymore. My just legs are bringing me back to you. It's a completely conditioned subliminal yeah. response. They don't know why. They just feel yeah. compelled. And there's no shouting and there's no screaming and there's no tugging on a collar or grabbing the you know the lead and pulling them and strangling them or being dragged around by the dog because the dog is making a choice yeah. to be by So you've seen lots of puppies come through this year as well and you've seen me not use e-collars or long lines or collars or anything yeah. on the dog it's just I mean the dog and the dog's yeah. working for and regardless of actually if it's a puppy or an adult to be fair yeah. because there's most of the dogs yeah. that come and I, I've first seen, thing I do is I've seen you with a litter of puppies following us around the park well, as you know, I'm kind of going, what happens if? And you're like, they're fine. And they don't, they just keep together. There's kind of a, a pack way of being. And then there's the happiest-go-luckiest puppies able to sniff and enjoy things. But and there's explore, no shouting, there's yeah. no telling off, and there's no, because you don't have to. Yeah, and, and then we're creating this normality of normal is off lead, not I'm restrained, I just want to yeah. go pinging off across the park. But actually, it's normal to stay with you and yeah. hang out with you. So yeah. that's how we're going to grow up. So... At some point along this perfectly um, structured journey of positive reinforcement, and it's normally about five months. So I'll give you an example with um, my first accent. So her name is Giselle uh, Belly, uh, is her kind of cute everyday name. And she was a day before she was five months old. Perfect recall. And that day, she was sniffing a dead something, a dead crow, or you know, some sort of thing that was disgusting. And I called her as I normally do, Billy. And she looked at me, and she looked back at the dead thing, and she went, and she made a conscious choice to say, yep. "Not right now. I'm doing this thing, right?" Yep. And that that bit in time there, and it sticks with me because every dog, I can tell you, um, you know, for the past ten years or so, I can tell you exactly at what point, you know. Um, either a day after or a day before or two weeks after it's around about five months where they start going what if I don't come back yeah and that's the bit that we aren't expecting or we are um, getting wrong because I could have had a number of choices at that point I could yeah. ignore her I could keep calling her mm-hmm. so and there's always increasingly loudly and with more frantic yeah stuff I could shout at her all sorts yeah. right I get her in a lead and pull her away so there's a, a, a number of things I could try and do um, but each one of those has a consequence of learning from the dog. Yeah. Every single one of those things. Whatever action I take, there's going to be an equal or opposite reaction. That's physics. I yep. love putting some physics in. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, what I did was it was a frosty morning. Right. I had gloves on. Yeah. I took my glove off and I smacked it against the ground right next to where she was and, and gave her a fright. Right. She actually went, oh. And she looked at me, I said, good girl, and got my foot out, and she came to me. Right. So what I did was cause a distraction enough for her to go, oh, I- I'm supposed to listen to you, am I? One time. Yeah. Now, obviously, it happened again over the course of her growing up, right? Now, there would have been a point in time where I would dare not tell this, this story because I gave that dog a consequence and a fright. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, isn't that terrible? I'm a terrible owner. You broke state. Right, so she's now in Duncan of Jordanston being a therapy dog, yep. to and, and bringing so much joy. I can't tell you how many lives this dog has changed, right? Yep. But this is a dog that has high prey drive. This is a dog that is a natural hunter, and yet she can go anywhere and be off lead and um, listen to, yep. take commands, has obedience, and it all starts with a tiny little seed in their head. What if I don't listen to you? What happens? Yes. So if I keep t- telling her, come here, come here, come here, with her name, belly, 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 and then undoing all the training by teaching her that when I say something, you can ignore me, that's perfectly fine. Right. If I start shouting at her, I start giving her a fear of me. Yep. And if I ignore her, I teach her that's acceptable. So that's permissive, yeah. right? Do yeah. what you want. Yeah, yeah. So there's always a consequence of action. The consequence of action of what I did do was make her... Um, Pay attention. You broke state. Take the reward. She was in a state. She was. Focused on something. Yeah. You gave her a distraction to break state. And then you had to be able to do something. Right? It would not have been enough. Yeah. Right? It would not have been enough to break state. It, the breaking the state was not the action here. So this is where people with the e-collar get it so wrong. Where they think that the e-collar is the thing that's affected. That's the break state. Yeah. Right? They think the e-collar is doing the action, but the e-collar isn't. The e-collar is breaking state so that you can then do an action and it has an effect. And and why do I have great success with just vibrate or just tone on this this machine? 
uh, whereas I can give it to somebody and they can have that dog a week later completely ignoring everything. Yeah, absolutely. Because and, and the vibrates, right? you know, yeah. just again for the for the people who don't know anything. If I if I heard e-collars before I'd met you, I'd be thinking you're zapping your dog, right? The the traditional view of an e-collar is a zapping your dog. Um, but actually, if you put your hand on, it's a vibration like a tens machine, or your mobile phone vibrates. But can I just can I just say to you that there are different types? So yes. We call them um, in the e-collar world hot collars, the cheap yep. ones that you get off Amazon for thirty quid. I wouldn't use them. So no. I wouldn't put them on my dog, and I don't recommend them. You no. know, the ones that we're talking about are several hundred quid. Why would I spend? I mean, my my unit with four dogs on it is five hundred and something pounds, right? Yeah. Why would I spend that much money to, to be cruel to my dog? It's, um, it, and it's not teaching them anything, other than I want to avoid this. And we it's know only with, as good as the handler, right? It is. And we know with kids, you know, you, if you look at the Carol Dweck stuff on growth mindset, that any reasonable educational organization will have looked at if anybody doesn't know about growth mindset at this stage you're just off your trolley where have you been um because <laughs> what it talked about is all the studies have shown that people respond better particularly children respond better to praise than they do to punishment right it's it's punishment makes you want to avoid doing that specific which thing which is presumably where the positive reinforcements come from yeah you know, that one statement of yeah you know, whereas yeah. praise makes you want to to meet the requirements of the person to get praise so Punishment says don't do that one thing. Praise says decide for yourself if this is going to be a good thing to do. And, and in a human person who has the ability to make that decision, that works really well. So growth mindset says instead of um, saying you did really well in your test and got a really high score or you did really badly in your test and got a low score, you say you tried really hard. Because if you've got a high score, you've set yourself up for an expectation of failure next time. So you're not going to want to find that. Whereas if you get a low score, you're like, I'm rubbish and I can't do it. Whereas if you say you tried really hard, then it's in your interest to try again, right? That, that's a good thing. So that's what growth mindset is. So we know from that that punishment is not the way to get the best out of somebody. And same with a dog. Punishment is not the best way. But how do you praise and encourage a dog to want to make you happy and want to do that it's not so simple with a dog it has to be a conditioning it's never going to be simple as, as don't ever punish and always yeah. it's not going to be as simple as that especially when a dog's doing something super dangerous right mm-hmm. so um, many of my clients just now have got aggressive dogs and I think that it's really important to state that we don't use e-collars for reactivity no. so reactivity is a separate issue we need trust and we need so it's not a case of zapping a dog I actually hate that people would even assume that that was a thing yeah. if I would have put a collar on Tristan when I first got him I would have been bitten or mauled yes. yeah, yeah. so causing any discomfort or, or stopping the, the thinking would have the dog turn on you Yeah. it's not It's not a thing in itself right? it's That's not right. a punishment it's not a thing in itself it's not the thing so but sometimes then it requires people a little bit of intelligence right and so what we're seeing is people uneducated making assumptions yes. rather than actually looking into it and I've invited so many trainers to come and walk with me and see because I think the well one of the rumors out there is that you know um, dogs that are trained on e-collars are robots mm. right because they're all walking next to my leg terrified of consequences and actually if you come out in the walks you'll see how naughty they are and how much they're allowed, how much freedom they're allowed to explore and sniff and, and play but also how many good choices they make, right? So we've got Tristan, a dog who has done some pretty serious damage. So he's a Belgian Malinois. Yeah, and I've had him for a year, he's two. Uh, he's come from the kennels where the police wouldn't even go into the kennel to look at him. And they walked on by and went, no, he's, he's not. He was super, super stressed, wanted to kill everything. In the house, he was um, pushy. So if you, he was laying across the couch and you tried to get up or off, um, he would growl at you. Yeah. Um, He's now tolerating dogs humping him, biting him. Yesterday, <laughs> Jewel, the shepherd, was out yesterday, yeah. biting him. Right. I had him on a lead next to me, trying to get him to get his dog. Yeah. And he's she's nipping him, and he's just looking at me. Where's my frisbee? Right. <laughs> and it's just astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. You can have a reactive dog who who's, who would have killed. Yeah. So now going, I'm going to ignore all that. And he's still Tristan, right? So he's not. He's, he's still not. You know, yet. so you see he's, these you see the videos on TikTok or Instagram or whatever of these kind of super well trained shepherds, and and they're just a joy to watch. But they're not always like that. They're, they're in work mode when they're doing that. Absolutely. And it takes so much work. And if you look at every single one of these videos, what you'll see is a dog looking up at its owner. Every single one of those videos, what you'll see is the dog almost never breaks eye contact with the owner. So all of your training 
from an outside perspective is about getting your dog to give you that eye contact so that you can then do the next step with it. Yeah, and that's got nothing to do with e-collars. Yeah, it's nothing to do with e-collars, but if your dog's like halfway across the park about to eat something that could be poisonous and you want eye contact from your dog, that's pretty (laughs) tricky. So one of the things that I'm playing with just now, I mean, this is deeper level stuff and I still want to talk about, you know, surface things, but deeper level stuff is um, I've been playing with one of the the top... um, trainers in the world so he's won like the, the champions for um, and it's quite interesting it's his name's Ivan Bab- Bablonov or whatever his name is Russian guy uh, maybe even not Russian Eastern European I don't know somewhere over there he's got a lovely accent so um, but he's got top bred dogs right specifically bred raised really well from a young age and then doing really well with them right surprise surprise yes put a great dog with a, with a great trainer um, and you know a little bit of me is like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to have a dog at that ability? Sorry, to work with a dog at that, you know, from a young age and, and dump Tristan and get a puppy and start again, right? But um, it's there's something to be said as well about taking on a dog that's not had the best breeding, that's God come from God knows where puppy farm, and he'd be built to take to the level that I have, which is, yeah. you know, he's, he's pretty obedient when I, he's when I'm working him. Yep. Um, he's pretty damn good. Um, and and he looks like a normal dog where nobody would ever guess yeah. what he's been through. Yeah, in yeah, fact, they would think I was crazy for even mentioning, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the the stuff I've been playing with with the e collar is using that as a as a clicker. So we've not there's not many people to talk to in the world about this. Hmm. But dog training has not evolved past talking, and dogs are not talking to each other. They're they're communicating with body language and touch and, and so yeah. on. The collar is touch. Yes. So I've been working on uh, with him sustaining behaviours using the collar. So not stopping behaviours, yeah. but encouraging the, the duration of behaviours and encouraging okay. him to change a behaviour when he feels. So he's he's going, ah, okay, you've told me this from a distance. Right, okay. Over. So I'm touching him, but hands-off style, and I'm able to t- you know, talk to yeah, him. Yeah. Um, and there's not enough talk on that. You know, it's all about yeah, how, how we're using e collars in this cruel manner. But actually, they can be used in a really powerful yeah. way. Um, but on the surface, you know, from my perspective, speaking to, um, you know, well, so we'll start, start from scratch. So the MSP that's that's pulling this uh, forward in Angus at the moment, so it's a bit close to home, is, is um, Dave Dugan. And so he wants to propose a ban on e collar training because who wants to zap a puppy? and yep. electrocute, you know, no yep. one, no nobody, one. <laughs> nobody wants to do that. Um, and I think that, you know, that the stance is, is quite an uneducated, uneducated one of um, these people that are using them must be yep. demented somehow, yep. right? Um, and in actual fact, we're not thinking about the, the positive applications for the newest technology, yep. as I said, it's expensive technology. And there's lots of ways to abuse dogs without having to buy expensive uh, collars to do it. So the way I got into it was actually livestock training. So I had a, a dog that was uh, chasing sheep and not a single trainer in Scotland could help me. They all suggested putting him in with a, a top, a male sheep, and having him battered. Right. And my brain went, well, that's very different than him chasing a white flock across the countryside. Yep. Right? It's not going to change his thinking unless he was a very young dog who then went, I don't like any sheep. Yep. So it wasn't good enough. So I started reading and researching. So the livestock thing is a no-brainer, especially when you combine it with the way that we train it, which is um, positively. So yeah. fibre equals food. Yeah. And, and and recall first, right? And, and by the way, just on that, yesterday I was working with somebody who had um, a dog. So he's coming of age. He's quite. He doesn't know it yet, um, but he's he's got lots of testosterone. And the reason that I say that, this is quite funny, right? But um, Tuzi, who's normally quite stoic about dogs, was extremely flirty with him. The <laughs> it's male really dogs... funny watching Tuzi be flirty. Tuzi's a chow chow, right? <laughs> and Tuzi is the most chill chow chow. Like she's like a mini Buddha. She just trots along. She goes up to dogs and says hello. And if a dog kind of gets a bit aggressive towards her, she kind of looks at them like, "Have you not seen me? I'm gorgeous. What's your problem?" She just does not bat an eyelid. But she kind of walks along wiggling. She's got a lot of self-confidence. Lots of self-confidence. I think she's, she's probably a, a, she's a wee top female, you know. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's got that air about her. And so she was flirting with this male yesterday. And you combine that with the other dogs didn't take to him very well. Right. So even the castrated males, not not mine, but other ones in the group were, were a bit like, get away from me. You know, who right. are you? Um, and he's a bit overbearing, but not as bad as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Not grabbing anybody, but just a bit overbearing. I think he's giving it a smell of... Um, 
I'm somebody special, okay. but he's not quite clicked to that yet. He's 18 months old, and I would probably be neutering him to preserve that innocence, okay. which is controversial in itself because we've got a mass following now. Don't neuter anything. Yeah, Keep yeah. everything entire. But actually, we want dogs for being sweet pets, yeah. not for being masculine. And I, I've seen them again. You know, I'm, I'm the ignorant dog person here, um, but I've seen they just lose their mind. They just... <laughs> They're it's not just, fair, is it? It's not fair on them because they're getting in trouble. The owners are super stressed, and the dog—it's like it can, for a week or two, the dog could be just losing their mind, and you're just like. Well, this one's quite a particular breed. Um, yeah. uh, it's a, it's a, a very rare, special uh, breed, and and um, I'd say, do you know, in a, in a kennel situation where they've got studs, this would, he'd be breeding by now, and she was always brother is, and yeah. I said, well, there you go, you know, and that—that's his job, and they wouldn't be having him in a situation like this. No, you know, no, it's not pet job. Yeah, yep. and a pet dog, we want them just to get on with everybody, so we need to preserve that. So anyway, um, the reason I mentioned this dog is that we introduced him to the e-collar yesterday, and I was using the collar to um, vibrate, get back to mum, mum is, um, you know, the vibrate stops, mum is safety, yep. get food from mum. And then he was enjoying it, he was going, oh, this means I should go back and get food, cool. So it was touching him from a distance. And... Um, she asked me, can I do it without the collars? Absolutely. Yep. However, you have to go up and get your dog, which requires grabbing his collar, putting a lead on him, which yep. are aversive. Yeah, and driving starts him. to avoid you. Yeah. Yeah. And this is much cleaner. Using the collar yep. is much cleaner because he's gone, what was that? And change of state, as you said. Yeah. I'm going to go back to mum. Something nice happened. Repeat, repeat, repeat until he goes, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so a reminder to go back to mum. It's interesting because when, when we first start putting the collar on a dog, it runs back and then it runs right past the owners, right? <laughs> this is one of the things I noticed a while back. It's just like it runs it's back and it runs right initially. past. And if they try and for whatever reason then grab it to put it on a lead, it'll it'll back away, away yeah. and then it'll run off again. But when they buzz, it will come back because it's like, all oh, right, I'm coming back. So I've done my job. I'm coming back. You can give me the treat, but I'm not going to let you catch me. So if you're going to go and catch it without the come back signal, it's going to be twice as hard, and right? So this is the bit I'd love to speak to an open-minded dog trainer about that, that's positive only because. Um, that, that humans become aversive by its actions yeah. of grabbing the dog. Yeah. So it's the hands off. Yeah. You know, that's the clever part where the dog starts to go, oh, you're, you're cool. Not, oh, you're going to grab me and get defensive. And know? I think, you know, what's really interesting is if I think you and I would both agree we don't want to electrocute puppies. Right? <laughs> or We're any both, dog. <laughs> yeah, or any dog. We're both absolutely 100% in agreement that you don't electrocute an animal. To train it, it's just a stupid idea. <laughs> and we know you deal with the consequences of, of animals that have been badly treated, but equally, you have to deal with the consequences of being loved and well treated and still oh, are yeah. a problem. How do, you, how, do you how do you how do you get your head around that? Convince people of that that yeah. loving the dog so much and giving no boundaries actually can cause dogs to get yeah. put down. Yeah. So you know you're saving the lives and the dogs and the people around them by introducing a kind of conditioning approach that the dog enjoys the dog always gets something out of it you know and one of the things that that you talk to people about on your walks is reward your dog you're not rewarding your dog enough reward your dog why what is and people find that really hard to do they want the dog to look up at them and check in with them but they don't reward it but surely they're they're struggling with that because the concept of the hollywood dog is it'll do it because it loves you because yeah, you're yeah. the best thing ever that's the thing right and once we once we get rid of that and realise actually it's its own mind and it wants to do what, what motivates him, yes. then and we have to be the motivator. He's an animal. He is an animal and he is a carnivore <laughs> and he has he's a predator. So he's not just like a rabbit animal, you know, or a chicken or a sheep. He's an animal whose base instinct is to do certain things, to chase the bird that's just flown across in front of him to sniff and taste something on the ground. So our, our um, as trainers, I think we would all probably agree with the statement that we're caught somewhere between dogs needing to be obedient and listen and, and be safe, but also be given some sort of um, freedom to have good welfare. Welfare, welfare is important. So we've, we've got to have this um, this thought of both sides, what keeps the dog safe? and, and you know, fair enough, some people think that living on a lead and being restrained its whole life is perfectly acceptable. Or living on a long line and, and being pulled. 
I don't. That's m- my opinion is absolutely not. Yeah. I think that's much more aversive, being yanked about by the neck. And especially now that I know what I know about the body, you know, I've learned about shiatsu, I've learned about uh, muscles and, and the skeleton. We and can't. We can't. People, um, people put harnesses on them to avoid that, right? <laughs> yeah, which is the exact opposite of what's happening. You're putting tension places where. Yeah, it's just it's a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare. And, and I, as far as I can see right now, it's giving the, the dog the freedom to make choices and the freedom to move his body correctly and unrestrained is kinder. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that yeah. without having it on a lead all the time? Yeah. Right? It, it's just bananas. The whole thing's bananas. Well, I think I think that's what most people would argue is, you know, um, well, okay, I, I totally get your point that having a collar around its neck and yanking on the lead is, is not good. I've seen that, you know, the, the dog's panting and pulling along the road and being out of breath and all. So we, we put them on a harness and that's better. That's better for the dog. We're looking after the dog's welfare. Now, you know, I, I know countless people from being on your walks that have ended up with broken legs and wrists and things like that because the harness hasn't got any level of control. But also the vets are now saying the dogs are growing not the right way that they should, yeah. not correctly. It's affecting their structure because they're they're forming really tough muscles up front. They're putting yeah. a lot of strain on, on the front of their body because of the, the leaning into the harness. Yeah. So yeah, we're all getting it really, really wrong um, with what we're doing. And um, so it's about balance. It's got to be, you know, about. And I can absolutely raise a dog without an e collar. Yes. I can absolutely do that. Yeah. Um, but we're getting into a society now where everybody wants. Um, so that's actually got to the point where I'm embarrassed about Tuesday being able to be off lead because people can't achieve that with a Chow Chow. No. Or a Husky, or a Shiba, or yes. a Akita, right? Yeah. And yet I've had all of those, several. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the case of Huskies, I've probably had about 50 now. And 100% recall. Yeah. 100% of those dogs can be off lead. Yeah. Not with e collars, by the way. That was well before I had yeah, e collars. Yeah. Um, so it's the way that I train, right? Yeah. Give freedom. Get them motivated. Reward lots. Never shout at your dog. Never punish your dog after an event. Yes. In fact, punishment. What, what I'm taking as punishment now is um, very different than a correction. Yes. Punishment is you did that. I'm going to give you a consequence. Correction is you're in the middle of doing that. I'm going to help you do a different thing. Yeah. And then reward you for doing the right thing. Yeah. So correct. Correction is, um, as you said before we should minimise that and we should definitely be reward based and and the interesting thing is we can use collars in a reward based manner Yes. if you're open enough to come and learn about that yes. right? so why do we need an e-collar? Deaf dogs yep. vibration equals food we can have deaf dogs who've never been off lead in their life suddenly have freedom yep. um, we've had lots of different experiences with young deaf dogs and also dogs that lose their, their hearing over time so Ashley uh, started training her old boy to the vibration so that he could um, still get off lead with an old boy because yeah. he had his off lead freedom his whole life but then he stopped him here when he was being called so she trained him with the vibrate and he went oh cool yeah. no problem yeah. and he managed to still be off lead and enjoy his life um, dogs that are living with people that are disabled who can't physically hold the dog and so some people's reaction might be well you shouldn't have a dog if you can't hold it mine is I've worked with lots of people with disabilities that, and, and for therapy dogs and so on and it brings so much joy to their life they've got every right as much as anybody else does to have a dog and have that companionship and that love in their life um, and there should, we should have the ability to use whatever tools we can to yep. help them be able to have that dog um, have welfare even guide dogs get off leads to yes. play off lead to get to play after it worked <laughs> you've seen <laughs> so um yeah, so we've got lots of different levels. You've got livestock aversion, so we can teach the dogs. So dogs with a really high prey drive that are that likely to already, lose their mind yeah, or and already go chasing killed, after. Because we've worked with a lot yeah. that have killed or have chased yeah. already. Um, you've got deaf dogs. You've got disability um, ability to work with a dog, not without using your hands. So one of our clients doesn't um, has the ability to use her, her hands to even hold the lead, but yeah. she can press a button to yeah. help her dog have recall to come back. Um, which is just amazing. I mean, yeah. wow, right? Yeah. All done in a nice way where the dog's enjoying himself, mm-hmm. and, you know. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, for your average dog, uh, recall and um, I'm going 
want to call it super obedience not just yeah come back when you feel like it but yeah. you know conditioned and, and a subliminal response to the point where the dog goes I don't even know why I'm doing this yeah I'm just, my legs are bringing just, me back to it's you it's great it's to come you. back yeah. and, and, and the happiness and every person that comes on our walks regularly who has um, either used collars or been around the collars will say the same thing the confidence is the difference and the Absolutely. human and I mean the there's so many me. people who are so anxious you know, and a lot of people will get a dog because they are anxious, right? They'll get a dog because they find human contact really difficult and animal contact is one of those nice, safe things. And then they take the dog for a walk and the dog might pull towards other dogs. They might leap at people, even like really super friendly lambs might leap up at people they pass and go, hey, hey, I'm a dog. And you've got this person who's got this, all this anxiety around being around people who gets a, a dog to help them away from their anxiety and we know that they're great they, they allow you to connect to people people walking dogs will chat to each other but then you're too scared to take it out when there might be any chance of any other dog being anywhere and so you can't take your dog on walks you, and so your anxiety is doubled because now you're anxious about your dog's behaviour and what people will be thinking about you and what your dog's doing These are real life examples people we work with and so Constant I think, examples. I think that the biggest thing for for us is the probably the confidence change in the, in the humans, and then also because of the groups that we've um, set up that support network for each other so yes. that you know there are days where the dog goes I'm going to be naughty and, and piss off Absolutely. over there and everyone goes that's okay we've all got yeah. days like that you know and, yeah. and it's nothing dangerous it's nothing bad it's just the dog doing dog stuff and yeah. that's okay whereas before a small incident like the dog disappearing behind a bush might have caused that person to you know go into It'll never go out again yeah you know, I can't then, see my dog, I can't see my dog. And then, you know, you don't know what to do with the dog, so the dog gets into that behaviour where it becomes entitled, which we know we have a problem with people being entitled just now, right? So the dog gets entitled, I get Such to sit on the sofa, and if I growl at you, you won't stop me going on the sofa. Um, so I teach you that this is my domain, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and so now you have an enemy living in your house that was supposed to sort your life out, and you can't do anything about it. And, and the end result of that is not a good one for you or the dog. No, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, almost every week I'm getting a dog just now. Um, got a wee spaniel last week and nothing wrong with this dog. But he's bitten the kid, nipped a kid. And um, most likely the kid's fault, not the dog's. Mm. Um, and it's got nothing to do with anything other than they've not taught him what's not acceptable behaviour. Yeah. And it's the same with kids, right? The kids will, you know, they need boundaries. And that, this is what I mean about the kind of punishment versus praise. Boundaries are way more effective so that they can make their own choices and they, they want to try and fit within boundaries. Actually, I was talking to my kid about um, teachers um, and good teachers and bad teachers. And, <laughs> and we were talking about, so the, the first teacher they had was um, did a really bad job of teaching times table. And it was the first couple of years of their school life. And they just didn't teach the timetable in a way that that Ash was able to learn it so has right through now to secondary school still struggling because times tables are fundamental to all your maths but has a great math teacher and she's like this teacher she's not actually that nice a teacher but she's really fair she's really clear and she just tells you as it is and so I want to make her happy I want to do my maths well so that she'll be proud of me for doing my maths well Whereas the other teacher, she just wanted to not get in trouble or not get caught getting in trouble with the other teacher. And that's a massive difference. So really the math comes on brilliantly for having a teacher that isn't even that nice a person, really, <laughs> but works well as a teacher. And, and my kid now is getting way better at math because of that. But you might say that, you know, you need to tell them, no, make it clear. Give them, no, you need to make them want to do better and allow them to be the individual they are and make the right choices. So on the walks, you're awarding dogs for making good choices. If they make a choice to look at you, that's a good choice. If they make a choice to come to you when they're distracted, that's a good choice. You don't tell them off for making a good choice. You go, that's a good choice. So they go, I want to do that Most again. of that, I suppose, is having a goal of what you want to achieve. Yes. And if you don't know what you want, you just want a dog to just behave itself. What does yes. that look like? Yeah, How do exactly. I get to that point? Yeah, yeah. That's the tricky bit, right? Um, but So I want to talk a little bit to you about the, the human side of this, which is... I've been involved um, with friends, other trainers, who have had huge backlash to the point where, you know, uh, 
their, their horses' lives were threatened. Um, they had hate mail put through their door, um, and all sorts of you know horrible things said on Facebook because they've stood up and said um, e-collars are good, mm-hmm. um, e-collars save lives, and for for us reduce stress, right? So. Um, it's a, there's a, a thing that happens with people where they join the bandwagon of, and they can't see the, the, the truth or the, no. the trees from the forest. So they assume that people are outwardly doing this, this cruel act. Yeah. And I can't see the logic in that. It's really obvious because you find me somebody who's against e-collars that doesn't say they zap and electrocute the dog. You find me So they're everything. using emotive words. They're using, so um, we studied, and I did a psychology degree, a master's in psychology, and we studied um, some speeches. There was a, a speech from a guy about abortion, um, and it was to doctors. And then there was another speech about abortion that was to the regular public. And it's fascinating to look at the choice of language. So um, to the doctors, you would say something like an embryo, but to the regular public, they would say the young baby. Wow. Right? So language is incredibly powerful and, and subliminally powerful. And clever people, clever politicians, will use the language. And you will see the language around Brexit. You see the language around coronavirus. Um, when the message... In fact, I'm watching Gogglebox at the moment. And it's the... the Again. Yeah, it's the, it's, the <laughs> pandemic, it's the pandemic episode. So it's the commentary of people on the pandemic while it was happening, which is fascinating and seeing people like Boris talk about it and the language changes. So when, he, you know, he would use language like telling or suggesting depending on how serious it had got, right? Okay. So studying language is fascinating. So you find me a post for somebody who's against e-collars that doesn't use the word electrocute or zap. You find me that. Now, any of us, we read sticking a collar on a dog that zaps it. That's a bad thing. We're all going to react the same way because we all love our dogs. Right? So it's all down to language. So if you said language of touch, vibrate, attention, um, break states, if you were talking about things like that, people would not be quite so strong in their reaction. They'd need to know a little bit more. But they hear electrocute your dog. They see a picture of a little puppy with a massive collar on that clearly is going to, you know, levels of prison putting people to sleep zap them. You're going to go, no. And, and you and I would go, no, you well, shouldn't do that. No, we would, yeah, of course. And and um, we would never do that anyway. The, the, the puppy picture is astounding. I don't think any e-collar trainer would ever go, yeah, that, that's what we do. <laughs> it is really interesting. But um, I think that I don't understand why other trainers who presumably have some intelligence about them, because they need to be able to think to the future. And, you know, we're, we're always thinking what we want mm-hmm. to achieve and so on. So why would they not be curious as to what's going on? Why do they think that... We all believe we're right. right. So you watch any discussion that happens on Facebook, and I say watch, so you sit back and observe people commenting on the Facebook um, or any social media platform. What you'll see is two people who express their opinion. Those two people will probably engage in a kind of tit-for-tat. Both of them will then express their opinion louder with more quotes facts, right? And then eventually, most people will end up getting personal when the argument, they've, they've run out of facts and they'll just start getting personal. So um, this is what they do. So um, many years ago, I did a TED talk and um, there's a lady called Neve McDade who is a lecturer at Dundee University in forensics or something like that, I think she is. I can't remember. I might be doing her a disservice. I know she does lots of work. And her TED talk was on how you get jurors to interpret evidence that's presented by experts. Because jurors are people like you and me. You get called up to um, decide whether somebody's guilty or not guilty. And as part of that, you basically have what I think of as a sales battle between the defense lawyer and the prosecution lawyer, right? It's whoever puts their case forward strongest is the one that wins and does the best sales pitch so the jury buys into it. And usually what they will do is they will bring expert witnesses. But the defense and the prosecution can both bring an expert witness. One of them will say, this is why they're guilty. And one of them will say, this is why they're not guilty. Both of them presenting valid scientific evidence. And so so Neve was talking about how we kind of educate jurors on how to interpret scientific evidence. So the interesting thing is, we all believe we're right. 
because we've researched or we've heard this story or we've read this or somebody we know has done this. And then what we don't do when we're engaging with somebody else on the topic is go, tell him all. I'm really curious to see what you think about it. And then what we also don't do is go, huh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Let me go process that. You find me a discussion where you hear people, what you hear, whether it's agreeing or disagreeing, it doesn't matter. You will hear people go, I'm agreeing because blah, 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 blah. And I'm disagreeing because blah, 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 blah. And if you're a agreeing person, you go, yeah, 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 that's a really good point. And if you're a disagreeing person, you go, yeah, 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 that's a really good point. So people aren't curious in that way. But I guess the evidence supporting what you're saying is that people tend to only come to me when they've been through other trainers and sadly I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm renowned now for taking on the aggressive cases so yes. you know they all end up coming my way which means it's very hard for me emotionally because you, you see know, the worst side of everything yeah and you know even answering the phone is risky now do you know I don't want to hear about a kid that's been bitten or a dog yeah. has been killed I, I, you know it, it's hard it's really really yeah. hard um, Don's training me how to be a therapist so in 20 years I can have my little grey bun <laughs> I'm not, on my I'm not, glasses I'm not. you're just absorbing it because you're curious <laughs> But um, there, have the been, there have been trainers that have come along this year. We've had three that have come along and said, um, actually, I feel like I need more now. That yep. they're, they're getting, we're getting to a different class of, of dogs and people. Pretty yep. serious. For different reasons. For genetic reasons, there's lots of backyard bred dogs coming out. So that there hasn't been care taken over their, um, their genetics. And, their and the government's doing lots of work on, you know, go to an appropriate breeder, right? You see adverts on choosing a breeder and you hear... I'm going to sneeze in a second. One second. <laughs> you, you hear the stuff. It's on the. It's on the radio. It's on the TV about be careful who the breeder is you're choosing. So there is some level of awareness of if you don't do it right, you're going to end up with a dodgy dog. But then equally, I get a lot of clients that have gone, well, I couldn't leave it behind. Yeah. Someone has to have it. It's, it's born now, so no. I'll deal with the consequences. You know. Um, but yeah, they, they they tend to come when they've got. And, and <laughs> the irony being that. Um, the people are people are against something until they need that thing yes. and then they go oh actually now I'm open to it yeah, yeah. but what I need is, is those people to come forward and say this has saved us this is you know yeah, yeah. this is including by the way vets yeah. other trainers yeah, yeah. you know groomers and people that have said to me I was against this tool and now I think this is you know my, my way of doing it or yeah. the way that a sort of modern way it's not my way but it's a progressive way yeah oh I didn't learn it from anybody yep um, you know I've, I've learned to do this by uh, trial and error and um, yeah I think that there's a, there's a big scope for using it in a in a training sense not not corrective in a training sense where it's a communication tool yeah and you know training, you know what it's like you know I had, I had a dog a good few years ago and um and we wanted to do it all right, you know, it was, a, it was a black lab gun dog puppy and we wanted to get it all right, we wanted to do the right training, we wanted to end up with a really good dog because my, my husband's disabled so he wouldn't be able to do very much with it and it was a companion for him, that was the idea. We, we did it the right way in the sense that we went, um, we can't get a rescue dog because we have a young child, we don't want to have the risk of what might happen, so we'll get a puppy. My husband wanted a bigger dog because he didn't want a little dog under his feet. Um, we went to the breeder, we saw the mother, we saw the mother with the puppies, we saw everything, you know, as it should be, and um, he'd read up, all that sort of stuff, and we still ended up after six months going, we can't look after this dog to the level it needs. We gave it back, it went to a gun dog owner and was trained as a gun dog, so it had the best version of life, but we kind of realised. recognised that early. Yeah, we recognised that early, but we, we went into it with the best intentions, doing the best thing we could, but the there simply wasn't a way of finding consistent information that worked. If I'd known you, we'd still have a dog, right? Because despite that, there's so many different methods and there's so many different opinions. And how can you tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong and what works and what doesn't? And the irony being that we've never had so many behavioural problems. Yeah. And yet we've also got so many methods of training. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so much information out what there easily accessible. What has gone so wrong? And I think that... Um, it's going to reach a point where the numbers of dogs will decline because people will start to go, that was really hard, I'm not going to get another one. Yeah, well, you maybe, yeah, uh, maybe. That, that would be the hope in some ways because, you know, the numbers of dogs going up with people who've never had dogs before and then getting to that 18-month to two-year point and going, oh, my God, what's gone wrong? One of the things that is important to reiterate, I'd like to do a post on this as well as the changes. So cute puppy changes when it reaches adult state to something very different yes. very very different um, 
if if not aware of that, if not checked, you know, if not. Yeah. Um, and and so one of the things, of course, different podcast, but um, in particular the, the bigger breeds, the breeds that are bred for um, severe work, like yep. bite work, yeah, um, in protection. There are massive changes, and it's almost like a, a switch that's quite scary for the owners. And they still retain the emotion of the puppy, so I've bonded with it. I still yes, love it. Yeah, yeah. Even though if it's I gave you that dog thing. as an adult and said, "Here, live with that," you'd go, "What? No way." <laughs> there is some similarity um, with kids. There's a there's a point in the kid's brain. So up until about seven, eight years old, your brain doesn't really start growing the grey matter part of the brain, which is the part that can make sense of stuff. But we've talked before about the brain not being fully developed until the mid-twenties. So you really, even when you can make sense of stuff, you're still not able to do very much with it. But um, like a five, six-year-old will go out in a skeleton costume and a tutu and not give two hoots, you know? They'll just not care because they have no concept of them being different to everybody else. They don't have that idea of themselves as a separate entity. But when the brain develops, almost overnight, there's a switch that happens. So one day they can go into a music class and just not give a hoot how they play and just have a laugh with everybody else and literally the next day they could refuse to walk into the room because they're worried what everybody thinks about them so the switch in the brain happens to go from not caring or even noticing to suddenly noticing that you're different and other people are different and worrying what other people think there's no manual there's no little red flag that goes up in their head that says that's happening now you just notice a massive behavior difference and a parent can be like but they've always been so confident and outgoing. They would go anywhere and talk to anybody and do anything. And then now, like they're not going to school anymore because they're too anxious about it. But they were just such a confident, outgoing kid. What happened? I didn't do anything. Nothing changed. They haven't had any trauma. They just And it's like pure brain development in the same way with dogs. It's like pure development reaches a point. Teenage brain kicks in, adult brain kicks in, and something switches. And you need to catch it. And so, um, just to end on a joke, do you think that um, people that were considering having a child, if we gave them a naughty teenager for a few weeks to babysit or teenage sit, <laughs> do you think that would put them off? No, because they would think that if they'd had them from the start, they wouldn't have had that problem. Okay. Right? In the same way as with a bad dog, right? Or a, a dog that's got behaviour problems or aggression. It wouldn't have happened if I'd given, if you give me a puppy and I'd been able to love it since I first got it. <laughs> yes. Love fixes everything. Love fixes everything. That's us being sarcastic. Yeah. Or passively aggressive. No, sarcastic. Passive aggressive is no fun at all. Sarcasm is loads <laughs> of no fun. It's no fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Don Walton, Queen of Sarcasm. <laughs> I have t-shirts to show it. No. <laughs> right, thanks for listening. All right, thank you.